You are tuning in to the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast. Picture this. The year is 1990. You hop into your family's 1989 great Jeep Cherokee Laredo to embark on a two-hour trip to Rockford, Illinois. Your mom pops in one of her very favorite cassette tapes at the time. You sit back on the rear passenger seat bench and tip your head back. But since there's no headrest, your neck and head has no support, so it's quite uncomfortable to say the least. It's okay, though, because Tracy Chapman is now about to play. Your neck pain doesn't matter because your ears will soon be enjoying the emotive voice of the brilliant musician. Life is good. I've mentioned on many episodes of this podcast about just how much impact my parents had on me and my sister's music interests when we were kids, and thankfully, Tracy Chapman was no exception. I was raised on her music, and I'm better for it. I know that for sure. I've had Tracy Chapman on my list of show topics for as long as I can remember, so I think that this rekindled love of her incredible music because of her recent Grammy performance was just the sign I needed to put together a show on her life and career. So, with that said, grab your acoustic guitar, a cup of coffee, and let's get talking about a revolution. Here we go. Thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast. This show is dedicated to the memory of my big sister, Rebecca, a fan of all things pop culture, particularly of the people, places, and things that defined the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Welcome aboard this pop culture time machine. I'm Amy Lewis. This is episode number 91, the story of the one and only Tracy Chapman. On March 30th, 1964, Tracy Chapman was born in Cleveland, Ohio, to parents George and Hazel Chapman. I couldn't find a ton of information about Chapman's parents, but I did learn that they got married at a very young age. Her dad was older, though, and more educated than her mother, as she did not have her high school diploma at the time they got together. They hoped by getting married their lives would be more fruitful, but unfortunately, that didn't happen. When Chapman was just four years old, her parents got divorced. Chapman grew up with her mother and older sister in a predominantly black and middle-class neighborhood called South Broadway in Cleveland, Ohio. She was raised as a Baptist. At a young age, she learned how to play the organ and clarinet, and she would play along with her sister Anita, who would sing. Her mother gave her a ukulele when she was just three years old. In elementary school, Chapman taught herself how to play the guitar. This is rumored to have been inspired by her watching the classic television show Hee Haw.
Perhaps her mother showed her a few pointers as she too could play the guitar. Her mother apparently also had a beautiful singing voice she sang in church and at weddings. Growing up, Chapman spent a lot of time in the public library. She was an avid reader and, of course, loved books. It seems like reading and music were a welcome distraction for Chapman, who was often the victim of racially motivated bullying throughout her early years, along with witnessing it all of the time where she lived. Chapman was influenced by the music that her parents and her sister listened to, such as Cher, Neil Diamond, and Gladys Knight. Sly Stone and Curtis Mayfield also made it into the rotation. And I mean literally into the rotation, because I imagine she listened to a lot of these on records. That was bad. Anyways, as Chapman got older, she realized that she wanted a different life for herself. For example, she attended schools that had metal detectors, not a great way to start your day for anyone, especially for someone who took school as seriously as Chapman did. She knew that education was her way out. In the mid-1970s, Cleveland was being referred to as Bomb City because the city was so often victim to arson and property owners trying to clear out abandoned properties. She wrote her first song at the ripe old age of 14 and titled it Cleveland 78, about all of the hardships her hometown was facing. And you know what I was doing when I was 14? Begging my sister to straighten my hair, because I couldn't stand that it was so wavy. Anyways, thankfully, when Chapman was 16 years old, she won a scholarship to attend an Episcopalian boarding school in Connecticut through a program called A Better Chance. It helps identify non-white students who are academically gifted and who demonstrate leadership skills. It took her some time to adjust to her new school and relate to her peers. After all, she came from a poor area, from a mother who worked hard to make ends meet via a series of odd jobs, and a lot of her classmates just could not relate to that. As time went on, though, she met other students who were passionate about music like she was. They expanded her musical horizons by introducing her to musicians like Bob Dylan. The faculty of her school noticed her passion for music and guitar playing, so they actually took up a collection and bought her a new guitar to replace hers, which was past its prime, which is putting it lightly. When Chapman entered college at Tufts University, she studied anthropology with an emphasis on West African cultures. Her plan was to eventually become a veterinarian. While living near Cambridge, Massachusetts, Chapman performed her music in coffee shops and on street corners. During her time in school, she was offered a record deal by an independent music label, but she turned it down because she didn't want to disrupt her post-secondary education. Now that is very admirable, but at the same time, not surprising, because that's Tracy Chapman for you. And I would know because we're best friends. Anyways, this wouldn't be the first time she was offered a record deal. Sometime later, a classmate by the name of Brian Kopelman approached her as his dad was the head of a large music company. This interaction would later lead to her getting signed with Electra Records. In 1986, Chapman graduated from college. This was the same year she wrote the song Fast Car. In interviews, Chapman has stated that a lot of her songs are not necessarily based off of direct experience, including Fast Car. Chapman has also stated that she has never had a fast car either. She said that this song was written about growing up in a working-class community where people were always hoping that things would get better. She said it was a story about a couple and how they are creating a life together and the challenges that they've faced. In later years, Chapman said that perhaps this song may have loosely been based off of her parents, 
two people who got together hoping that combining their lives, things would get better, but sometimes that doesn't always happen. She recalled writing the song late one night alongside of her dog. Normally, if she stayed up late into the night writing music, her dog would inevitably fall asleep. However, when she wrote and played the first few lines of the song, the dog's ears allegedly perked up. That's a smart dog. Her debut album, Tracy Chapman, was released in 1988, selling over 6 million copies, 1 million of those in just the first week. Which, as we all know, is unheard of now. Despite not getting a ton of airplay on the radio, the album was and is incredibly successful and popular. Fast Car was one of the last songs she wrote for this album. Whenever she performs live, Fast Car is always on the set list. In 1989, Chapman won a Grammy for Best New Artist, a well-deserved honor. Rolling Stone named Fast Car one of the greatest songs of all time, coming in at 167. Also in 1989, Chapman released her sophomore album, Crossroads. She was a producer of this album. It features songs such as Subsidy, All That You Have Is Your Soul, and Freedom Now, which was dedicated to Nelson Mandela. This album was nominated for a Grammy for Best Contemporary Folk Album. Rolling Stone gave this album four out of five stars, and it should have been five, because every freaking song on that album is so good, which again is so rare. And if you're from the generation of buying cassette tapes, records, CDs, you know darn well that you probably bought half of the music in your collection for maybe one or two songs, but every single song on Tracy Chapman's debut album is fantastic. Every single one. Flawless album. Tracy Chapman's debut album includes songs like Talking About a Revolution, Behind the Wall, She's Got Her Ticket, Fast Car, of course, Baby Can I Hold You, Across the Lines, For My Lover, Mountain O' Things, all fantastic songs that I distinctly remember listening to. And of course, an artist knew that they made it in the early 1990s if they were parodied on the hilarious sketch show In Living Color, which there's an episode of the podcast dedicated to that, which I highly recommend you check it out. I'll link it in the show notes. In one sketch, the comedically gifted Kim Wayans does a really great impression of Chapman and sort of a cover of Fast Car by looking out of her window and writing lyrics. And I believe Wayans' version is unofficially entitled Fast Song. And as much as Tracy Chapman is really a musical and lyrical genius to, I mean, let's be real here, the sketch was and still is hysterical. I write a fast song. The way I do it, I can never go wrong. I write a fast song. Just look out my window, see what's going on. Although this version is, of course, pretty silly, it's actually a little bit more accurate than I realized at the time, just in terms of how the writing process worked for her. 1992 marked the release of Matters of the Heart. It featured singles such as Dreaming on a World and Bang, Bang, Bang. Rolling Stone gave it two out of five stars because they're idiots. In 1995, Chapman released New Beginning. This album has sold over 3 million copies in the U.S. alone. This album includes the Grammy-winning hit Give Me One Reason, 
New Beginning, which is one of my favorite Tracy Chapman songs, The Promise, and Smoke and Ashes. Rolling Stone gave this album two out of five stars because they're morons. Telling Stories was released in 2000. She had started working on this album in 1999, marking a several-year hiatus for Chapman between albums, which was kind of unusual at this point. This album included songs such as Telling Stories, Wedding Song, The One and Only, and First Try. In Europe, a special edition double-disc album was released featuring several songs performed and recorded live. Those lucky, lucky bastards. Rolling Stone was a bit smarter this time and gave this album three out of five stars. Following this record, Let It Rain came out in 2002. You're the One and Another Son were released as singles off of this album. Much like Telling Stories, it also had a bonus CD, which included live performances recorded during a concert in Berlin. Rolling Stone gave it two out of five stars. And I don't know why I keep bringing them up, because I now hate Rolling Stone. Anyways, Where You Live was released in 2005, which is also the year I was released from college. Oh, God. I shouldn't record late at night when I didn't sleep well the night before. Anyways, singles released off of this record were America and Change. Fun fact, Flea from the rock band Red Hot Chili Peppers played bass on the album. How cool is that? Chapman hasn't released any new music since 2008 when Our Bright Future dropped. It features the singles Sing For You and Thinking Of You. Several of her previous albums didn't get as much traction as early ones. However, this album was nominated for a Grammy for Best Contemporary Folk Album. I think this is probably one of the last CDs I ever purchased because no cars have CD players in them anymore. Anyways, in 2015, a Greatest Hits album was released featuring songs like Baby Can I Hold You, Talking About a Revolution, Speak the Word, Sing For You, You're the One, and Open Arms. In 2020, Chapman performed Talking About a Revolution to encourage people to vote in the election. She rarely performs on television, but that infamous election seemed like a good one to step out of her comfort zone. And that brings us to today. Chapman has been back in the spotlight due to country musician Luke Combs cover A Fast Car. I can't say that I have ever been a big country music fan, which I know a lot of people are, but I'm, I'm sorry, I just cannot get into it. But he does really have a beautiful voice, and he did a lovely rendition of her beloved song. I think I lost track of how many posts I saw referencing her duet of the song at the Grammys with him just a few weeks ago. I mean, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. It really brought out a lot of emotion in those of us that grew up listening to her music. I've watched the performance several times, and I feel like you could hear a pin drop in the audience. It was truly a breathtaking performance. As a result of this resurgence in popularity of the song, and thus this cover of it, Chapman is the first black woman to ever have a solo writing credit on a number one country song. Coombs' cover reached number one on the Billboard Country Airplay chart. I read that Chapman was given full creative control over the Grammy performance. It was seamless. It was understated. It was perfection. Matthew Rankin, who was a close friend of Chapman, said of the performance, quote, The roar from the audience as Tracy and Luke were revealed on stage proved how powerful this moment was, as did the tears in the eyes of countless people around us. End quote. The momentum didn't just stop there. 
According to a CBS News report, quote, Tracy Chapman performed her 1988 hit Fast Car for the first time in years at the Grammys on Sunday, sharing the stage with Luke Combs, who covered the song on a recent album. The surprise performance had an impact. Sales of the original version spiked more than 38,000% after the Grammys, according to Billboard. Chapman's song made it back into the mainstream 35 years after its original release when Combs included his own version on his 2023 album, Gettin' Old. They also noted, quote, Fast Car was streamed 949,000 times in the U.S. streams on February 5th, the day after the Grammys, according to Billboard. That's a 241% increase in one week. Sales of Chapman's song also soared 38,400% to 14,000. End quote. That is incredible. Chapman has expressed her discomfort with being in the spotlight, and as a result, it's noted that she's a very private person. She lives a relatively quiet life in San Francisco. She has also stated that she does not have any social media accounts, at least she didn't as of a few years ago. And if you think about it, though, it's completely understandable. After all, she released her debut album shortly after she graduated from college, and it was a smash hit. She went from being a talented college student playing in coffee shops to having this incredible debut album, and there was really no time to adjust. She has also admitted that she is quite shy. In an interview with Spin Magazine in July of 1988, the author said, quote, It's not easy to pay Tracy Chapman a compliment. Try to tell the 24-year-old singer-songwriter from Boston that her debut album contains some of the most riveting music you've heard in quite some time, and the response is a sudden darting away of the eye and a turn of the head as she tries to hide the sheepish grin that's sneaked onto her face. End quote. And I think that sentiment hasn't really changed to this day, decades and decades later. That being said, Chapman has been known to offer her talents to philanthropic causes such as playing benefit concerts for AIDS, human rights advocacy, and anti-apartheid events. She also played Fast Car at Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday party. 600 million people viewed her performance on television. No pressure there. I think the fact that Chapman isn't all over social media and we don't know all the details about her personal life just adds to her appeal. And that's what I try to do with this show, too, is I don't really care about all the gossip and the tabloid stuff and the things that everybody talks about and the mean, rude comments that people make on social media. I think that just adds to why Tracy Chapman is such an awesome and special person. And I don't think many people would argue with me on that. In response to her performance for Mandela's birthday at Wembley Stadium and her debut album, the website Pitchfork said, quote, Some credited her rise to fame to that fateful Wembley appearance. Others speculated audience dissatisfaction with the ever-elaborate status quo of pop music of the time had something to do with the singer's wild popularity. But however this folk and blues-heavy singer-songwriter album became a hit in the synth and glitter-flecked late 1980s, Chapman came to the world stage with a perspective crystallized in society's margins. The only thing that critics struggled with, as much as her unexpected success, was uncovering how this plainly dressed, androgynous black woman, with a voice as warm and woody as a bassoon, created one of the best folk albums in a generation. 
I hope you've enjoyed this look back on the life and career of the one and only Tracy Chapman. As I said at the top of the show, I was raised on Tracy Chapman, and I will always be grateful to my parents for all of the incredible music they shared with me and my sister. With the exception of my dad playing the Fat Boys cover of Wipeout, which was not very good. But that's okay. I'll, I'll forgive him for that. And if younger generations are now familiar with her because of a country music star's cover, then I'm all for it. I keep forgetting to mention that Pop Culture Retrospective is now on YouTube. Yeah, how exciting is that? I don't have the entire backlog up just yet, but you can find several audio-only versions of the podcast on YouTube as well as video episodes with the various guests I've had on over the past two years or so. I will link the YouTube channel in the show notes. And if you go on YouTube and search Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, you will see the logo and find all the videos and audio clips that I have there. I am slowly working through almost 100 episodes at this point and uploading some highlight videos you may have seen on my Twitter or Instagram account. And please also visit my website, popcultureretrospective.com, to see all of my episodes, read pop culture blog posts, purchase merchandise, and to leave reviews for your favorite show hosted by yours truly. Again, that is popcultureretrospective.com. I hope you'll join me for my next show where we will take a deep dive into yet another fascinating facet of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s in memory of my sister. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories. Thank you for tuning in to my mama's podcast and the memories of Auntie Rebecca.